Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. We're coming at you in a soothing tone today on this fine Sunday. Nuh-uh, girl. <laughs> no. Dude, I... Trying to calm you. <laughs> I know. I sound and feel like I'm dying. I'm very tired and my allergies are kicking my ass right now. So I, despite this, am here to record a podcast for you. Janelle was trying to do something sultry, which is very nice, but yes. I just can't accomplish it. I'm just trying to make you feel calm. In my calm Calming voice. Sounds of the ocean in the background. Shh, Burns. <laughs> crab, crab, crab. Is that Fishy like fish? Burns. <laughs> no, but it's because I'm congested. Don't make fun of me. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. <laughs> uh, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. And we're sorry. And we are very sorry. <laughs> um, I apologize much. This but... summer is like the summer of hot mess, I think. Oh, yeah. It's not hashtag hot girl summer. It's hashtag hot mess hot summer. Hot mess summer. Yeah. Because every week we record, I'm always just like, oh my God, I feel like I've just been so busy and I'm so tired. And Sundays uh, are really the only time that we both have nothing going on for the most part. It's like the the true relaxing day. It's true. And then we come together. Yeah. And record. I'm so glad I get to spend this time with you, Janelle. Right? We get to complain about our terrible lives outside of this wonderful podcast. And relax with murder stories. Yes. Nothing says relaxation like good old-fashioned true crime. Right. Uh, Speaking of which, before we get on to the rest of the show, thank you, (laughs) Um, we're going to head over to the newsroom. All right, guys, instead of our regular news, we decided to have a little chat about our recent event. So we were just recently at the Chicago True Crime Podcast Festival in July Mm -hmm. in Chicago. 
Got to meet a lot of awesome podcasters. We got to meet a lot of awesome fans. Um, it was overall like a really cool little event. Yeah, it was nice to know that we have fans, real fans. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> we did have um, somebody come out from Seattle, yes. which was awesome. We were like, oh, okay, <laughs> holla. Um, but they had a lot of really cool panels. There were tons of podcasters there and tons of people. I was like, yeah. so, I don't want to say I was surprised. But for a, the first time yeah. doing that event, yeah, it was a yeah. really good turnout. Yeah, so we were there chit chatting, making connections, mm-hmm. seeing if we can get some stuff going for future episodes. Our wink, wink nudge, nudge. Yeah, right. <laughs> Our uh, like where we were at, we were right by the guys from Bad in the Boondocks and Florida Men, Florida Men, Cult Devil Inside. Yes, uh, Fatalities, which is like my new favorite. <laughs> yeah, that was so cute. It's like I fatal. It. I. T-E-A-S, fatalities, right? she had tea bags all over the table, and I was like, ugh. Yeah, it was so cute. (laughs) And you you guys know that we are also avid podcast listeners, so like, Mm -hmm. there were some people there that I was fangirling about. You fangirled hard. (laughs) Just a little bit. I was very excited. I got to meet a concerned citizen from the Swindled podcast, which was awesome. Um, There are pictures on our Instagram and Facebook, I think. Yes, and Twitter, too. And Twitter. Um, I got to meet the Pope. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> we had an adventure walking from the train. Oh, my God. It was so hot. Yeah. yeah. And we had some good bow. Yeah. Yeah. We went to wow bow. Wow bow. It was like really this. Great. Check oh it my out. God. Yeah. <laughs> but we want to thank everybody that came out and thank all the other podcasters that we got to meet. We did get to meet some people like uh, Shay and Aaron from All Crime No Cattle, yeah. who we've worked with before, they and really Georgie from Nothing Rhymes with Murder, who we've worked with before. As I thought they would all be. <laughs> It's so true. It was it was awesome to like finally meet the people that we've been talking with online for the last um, long while in person because that doesn't yeah. always happen. Um, anyway, thank you guys all for coming out. We had a really really fun time. Um, hopefully, we will be able to do that again next year. Mm-hmm. And if you missed us there, we have an opportunity to talk to you about at the end of the show. So Ooh, listen so for that. Tuned. Yes. <laughs> you got to reel them in. Forcing them. Stay tuned. I guess I could just fast forward through the episode, Shh, but please don't, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> fast forward, but then rewind. Yes. And if you don't know what rewind is, you're too young. Stop listening. Turn this off. Right. <laughs> uh, next up, we're going to move on to Netflix and Kill. This week is a Hulu and Kill. Mm. Um, so we are talking about Untouchable, which is the new Hulu documentary about Harvey Weinstein. Oh, Harvey. Yeah. You sick son of a bitch. Um, so it's a look at the rise and fall of disgraced Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein, featuring uh, interviews. But is he, though? Is he really that disgraced? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, in the public eye, he is. Yeah, but he's still got his hands and his money and everything. So Ugh. it's like, are you really? Whatever. <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> a problem. Yes. Um, but they have a bunch of interviews with former colleagues and some of his accusers as well, which is really cool. This one I found interesting because it's, for me at least, the first opportunity to have in one project all of the Harvey Weinstein information post um trial. Mm-hmm. So I mean now that everything has kind of 
I don't want to say settle down, but like you got to think Harvey Weinstein and that really kicked off like the Me Too movement. That was like kind of the start of this flood of people coming forward, which was awesome. And people feeling feeling like they could speak out about sexual harassment or abuse or anything like that. So I'm very excited to watch this. I haven't watched it yet. Sometimes <laughs> there's suggestions, but sometimes yeah, it's stuff I we mean, see. Hulu, Hulu, I always forget about that. Yes. I it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I actually watched the um, I Love You Now Die. How was it? Um, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was a little long. They could have cut some of the stuff out. The only disappointment was they didn't actually interview Michelle herself or any of her family members. Yeah. Um, it was all pretty much from Conrad Roy's family. Yeah. And then some of the the expert witnesses they talked to. And, um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. For a second there, they start making you feel sympathetic towards her. Right. Because they talk about how she had um, taken a lot of antidepressants and it was affecting how she was reacting. Yeah. Um, And trust me, coming from a person who took Zoloft when they were 15, which you're not supposed to give to teenagers, Mm -hmm. um, it really does fuck you up. So for a moment there, I was like... Oh, man. Yeah. But then they slap you back into reality because she is a terrible person. Like, oh, yeah. Don't forget. She told her boyfriend to kill himself. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've been hearing some mixed reviews about it. Um, and I think part of it is this, this idea that they attempt to make you sympathetic towards uh, Michelle Carter. I However, I think that was their intention, but right. that's how it came out to be. Well, and the thing is, is I think that is good writing to be able yeah. to, if you can get people to be sympathetic um, towards your antagonist, mm-hmm. only to turn around and you know, like being on that roller coaster of liking them and then hating them and then feeling bad and then doing, like that's just yeah. good writing. Yeah, it was you know? good. They did a great job. Um, but I think their intention was to try to help you understand, like, her state of mind and Mm -hmm. why she was doing that. And the reality is, she didn't start, like, pressuring him into suicide until, like, right before he died. Yeah. There was a bunch of messages and information about her trying to talk him out of it, about getting help, about not taking his medicine, doing something different. Because at the same time, she was depressed, taking medication. She literally had no friends. Yeah, yeah. And it was incredibly sad because, like, it takes you back to when you're in high school and you're having all the same right. thoughts and emotions and reactions, and you think you don't have any friends. And I mean, she had people she talked to, but she felt alone, basically, right, right. the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and they connected, even though they literally like saw each other maybe twice in their entire relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think they did a great job of kind of showing what she was thinking and her, not necessarily her motivation, but her reactions to things. Right. Um, But the interviews with his family were rough. And not because you were, like, going to cry, like, oh, they lost their son. Because, Mm -hmm. like, they were equally fucked up as both of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, out of their mind domestic disputes left and right just My like goodness. alcoholism you can really see the whole broad scope of issues that was going on at yeah that time it sounds like there's a lot more yeah. than just um, oh, yeah. what was going on with the kids which i mean that what is going on with their kids <laughs> can definitely be attributed to a lot of these outside factors yeah. as well and they were talking about how like they didn't see it coming but he had attempted to commit suicide several times 
Ease. Like, almost double-digit amount of times. Yeah. And that doesn't go away. That never goes away. Even if you take medication and you see a counselor, that thought mm-hmm. process never goes away. Um, so for them to say that they never saw it coming, I think was a little bit odd. Right. It's just like, right. yeah, maybe you choose not to see it. You choose to say, like, oh, my son's okay. He's okay now. He got yeah. past that one. It's like, no. Yeah. So it was, it was a whole mixture of things that really... Yeah. But worth a watch? Sad end. I think it's worth a watch. It All gets right. a little bit long in the middle there. They do a lot of, like, text messages on the screen that you have to read. And I'm like, okay, a little bit of that's fine. But it was yeah. a good chunk of the end of one episode into the second episode where it's like, I am sick of reading text messages. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I would say definitely check it out. So that is I Love You Now Die. We talked about that last week also. Um, and that's on Hulu. No, HBO. HBO. Um, and also Another check H1. out. <laughs> yes. Also check out Untouchable. That is going to be on Hulu. Yes. This is that part of the show where we say content is not appropriate for all listeners. We're going to be talking about some heavy stuff today. It's pretty brutal. Um, there's going to be a lot of descriptions of... Marinara? Well, say, do you say marinara? Murder. Oh, I thought you said marinara. <laughs> I did my best, like, Pink Panther, Peter oh, Sellers. I see. Um, no, I was going to say crimes against humanity is probably the best way to describe Women, it. children... Everybody. Everybody. Innocent people. Everybody. <laughs> um, so what are we talking about today, Janelle? So, you know me. I love to dash a little political into everything. So we're talking about war crimes! I was very excited when you picked this, because I was actually considering it for our last set, but mm-hmm. it was, again, a time thing where I was like, do I have enough time to take care of all this? I mean, and we could do a whole entire podcast of uh, itself on war crimes. Yeah. We're just going to hit a couple. <laughs> just, just just a handful a little bit yeah um so for mine i didn't want to concentrate too much on just one because the time period in which i was selecting it's lots of loose facts because it was so long ago mm-hmm. i am going to talk about war crimes of the American Revolutionary War. Dang, girl. I know. Way back. We're, we're kicking it back to 1776. <laughs> oh, man. So, a time um, period that seems to be the favorite for a lot of people nowadays. Uh, funny you say that, because oh. are you familiar with the Alex Jones quote, 1776 will commence again? Yes. Unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> also, Alex Jones is a fucking nut job. He is. I think that quote really shows you why he's a fucking idiot, because... 1776 coming back and recommencing is absurd. Yeah. But also, it could occur again. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I don't want it to because of reading all of this stuff. You'll see why. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible idea, Alex Jones. Yeah. Fucking moron. Well, and I'm sure, um, and I have no idea what you're talking about today, (laughs) but I am sure it would be similar to what they talk about in It Could Happen Here with Mm -hmm. the second American Civil War as well, Mm -hmm. where it's that kind of, which is crazy. Yeah, they actually talk, uh, there's a book, um, called Scars of Independence. Yes, yes. That is by uh, Holger Hook. Hawk? Hoke? I'm not sure. One of those. One of them. Um, And he talks about how the American Revolution was actually like the first civil war. Yeah. (laughs) Because it was a lot of like internal fighting between 
people in the colonies and not mm-hmm. not even British soldiers. So there's that book's really great. Check it out if you're interested in the uh, revolution. But um, this episode's going to make my dad proud because he's an amateur um, historian. Is he really? Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. Mostly the Civil War. Nice. But uh, also anything to do with Ohio, Cleveland history. Oh, nice. Obviously. <laughs> um, For obvious reasons. Yeah. When I was little, we used to go to all kinds of Civil War monuments. Yeah. We went to reenactments. Yeah. Like, we did the whole thing. Yeah. There's a picture of me and my brother sitting on Devil's Den with a placard, and he is like, you guys pretend that you're the South, you pretend that you're the North, and it's just our faces like... Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's pretty epic. Um, Everyone needs that sort of historian in their family. <laughs> so um, I do have a love of history, obviously. I collect a lot of vintage and things like that. I live in a Victorian home, so he ingrained it in me whether I want to admit it's it or so, not. It's, gene- it's genetic is what <laughs> you're saying. Unfortunately, it's genetic. <laughs> so in case you're not familiar, if you're uh, not... A U.S. Yeah. citizen, maybe you're an international listener. Also, I, I am gonna like put it out there right now for myself. Like my military history knowledge is mm-hmm. trash. I know the generals of all, like not the, <laughs> not the generals, but like the general. Name a, name a general in the Revolutionary War. There's an easy one. Girl, you know I can barely who name my most own name. One who became a president? Who be- I what I don't. I don't know, Janelle. I'm not going to pretend like I can think about Delaware. it. Washington? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> He's the most famous general of the American I mean, Revolution. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Good the job, I one. guess. It is the easy one. <laughs> but my point is, don't judge me for my lack of knowledge. I oh, know no. the I know the big stuff, everybody. I know that, you know. Well, I'm in education. Except that that Washington <laughs> was, you know. Yeah. It'll come to you. If you see big, the picture, like, ah, Washington. Yes. Yeah, crossing <laughs> um, Delaware. I'm in education, and I think that we lack a lot of um, history, U.S. history. We don't yeah. we don't teach it really in the detail that it should be taught. We also don't really taught, teach uh, political science enough either. Right, people don't understand how I agree. voting works. Still, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm not surprised when people are like, I don't. I don't know. Well, and it's a lot of the (laughs) specifics. There's a lot of... of And I don't really... Like, the specifics of, like, who won what battles and where, Mm -hmm. to me, isn't as interesting as understanding the political climate of the time. Yeah. um, The living uh, situation. The, you know, all the socioeconomic stuff is more fascinating to me than the actual war ravagery. Mm -hmm. Um, Although the outcomes of that are, are interesting, as in, like, all the war crimes. And this was the first... Like global war, really. It was global. Yeah, yeah. That started to talk about war crimes in the newspapers, um, and they used that as a catalyst to kind of pit uh, people in the colonies and other countries against each other, right? Forcing people to pick a side, right? Um, So we're not familiar with why the American Revolution even began in the first place. It'll be a really brief history. Um, It started right when the French Indian War um, ended. Um, Britain had ran up like a huge fat tab and they couldn't pay up, mm-hmm. um, as lots of countries do, us right now. Hey, um, <laughs> it's in our beginnings. It's from the very, you know, bedrock of our foundation. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um, not only the war itself was a huge debate, but Britain kind of stated that 
they were protecting the colonies. That's why they participated in the French-Indian War. And the colonists were like, no, you were just trying to grab Canadian land. Mm -hmm. It was a land grab situation. So you already see this buildup of tension. And then, you know, of course, the silly Boston Massacre happens. (laughs) That silly little massacre. So you're compounding that on top. And then we see a huge amount of taxes starting to be passed. We have the Sugar Act, the Tea Act, the Stamp Act. These were like the three major harshest debts that were, or uh, harshest taxes that were causing people to go into debt. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we start seeing rebellion popping up. Like little tiny rebellions, people stealing back tea and sugar, not wanting to pay their taxes, that sort of thing. It starts spreading across the colonies. And then, of course, we know those bad boys in Philly were like, we out. We're going to draft the Declaration of Independence. Right. So, April. And then they started rapping. They were like, <laughs> Thomason and, I don't know, I don't. Hancock. And <laughs> yeah. You know him. Adams. Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> yes. Um, I know Liam. No, the I'm not guys. throwing away my <laughs> shot. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Can't, like going to the top. I think I'm not after. throwing away my. That was after shot. the declaration, but that's fine. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. You know, it's like 15, 20 years or something. It's sure. fine. You know, it's fine. They had rap then too. They did. <laughs> it was called pamphlets. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was April 1776 is when the war officially began. Um. It was more of, like, colonial on colonial crimes. So colonists on colonists that really kind of got it going. That's where all these tensions began. And kind of the start of the war crimes. Mm -hmm. So people who are considered sympathetic to the monarchy still, um, that were still in the American territories, were often tarred and feathered. Um, And, like... Man, that's such an (laughs) old-timey, like... Yeah. They were thrown into stocks. They had rocks thrown at them. In the stocks, getting thrown with rocks. Tarred and feathered. Yeah, tarred and feathered. He's, Something that rides with feathered. Weathered. Yeah. There you go. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, so they were called like loyalists or Tories. Tories, another way of saying loyalist. Um, uh, there was a quote that I read that was pretty interesting. Um, this was one of the myriad of ways that colonial vigilantes debased, defiled, humiliated, and dehumanized their loyalist neighbors. <laughs> I got nothing. nothing. I thought I did. I got nothing on that. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, it's pretty great. Tarring and feathering is fantastic. There was a television show that I was watching, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was all about like espionage during the Revolutionary War. Okay. It was really, really good. Um, short-lived, but they they talk a, a lot about this um, like loyalists versus colonists. Mm-hmm. Um, patriots, they called them. Right. Right. Uh, and it's really, they do a good job of talking about the espionage. It's if I can remember it, I'll we'll put it in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's worth a watch. I think it's still on like Netflix or something. So, all of these loyalists are getting tarred and feathered in the streets, and so Britain's kind of getting like really pissed off. And their response to all of this is to start bombarding coastal towns with just all out assaults of cannons they're okay. like in their ships because this is like naval everything's based in naval Go Pirate, pirates of the caribbean pirates of the caribbean <laughs> um, they were up and down the coast just hitting every single town they could like decimating port towns to the ground yeah so we already see right off the bat like the killing of all of these innocent bystanders women children men complete destruction of buildings 
So that's where they kind of start. Now they're thinking, okay, so we're decimating all of your port towns. You're not going to have any way to access your your goods. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll come crawling back. Well, no. Uh, Of course not. (laughs) This kind of pushed colonists further. It's like, do you see how they're treating us? They're completely bombing everything and withholding food. So they were like, fuck this. We're done. Um, And so Britain obviously had to take another approach, and they began all of their land assaults. Right. Um, They were going from town to town, basically. Um, And there was... I'm forgetting the term of it, but back in this period... If a military person came into your home, they could take over your house. Right. I forget yeah, what yeah. the term is. It sh- it'll come to me later, I'm sure. Um, but they could basically set up shop, and you have to give them a percentage of food, water, f- any of that stuff that you have, as by law. It's like the rules of engagement. But they were taking more than that sort of statute allowed, And they were full-on stealing supplies, withholding all food and water from families, looting homes and and crops. But they were taking it even further and committing what I think is the most atrocious war crime. Quartering? Yes. (laughs) The Quartering Quartering, Act? Yes. The Quartering Act. Yes. So that they can stroll up to your door and be like, we're stationing ourselves yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Step aside. Mm-hmm. That was still a thing, too, in the Civil War. I am, like, as you're going, I just want to tell you, as you're going through this, I am having flashes of, like, Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> no, not even Schoolhouse Rock. There's a scene where they go in and they occupy somebody's houses. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it was a thing for a really long time. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. I can't believe that they, everyone's like, yeah, we're chill with this. Sure. You want to come right. up in here and steal all my salted meats and my larder? Mm-hmm. Go for it. <laughs> Um, But the most horrendous crime that was committed by lots and lots of British army men, unfortunately, was the use of rape as a weapon. Oh, great. Surprise, surprise. Thanks, man. So rape during the Revolutionary War was absolutely rampant. There were quotes from newspapers stating that women were raped in every village. Um, The media at the time used this sort of knowledge to kind of turn the tides against Britain. And to kind of start this smear campaign that was, like, top-notch, super effective, it really started to change the wave of war yeah. towards people being like, yes, we need to be independent, 100%. So in Hawk, Hook, Hoax book, whatever his last name is... Um, Just say all three every time. Yes, always. Uh, the Scars of Independence, he starts to tell this story of a woman and her family who were raped. So this... Next passage is a direct quote from his book. Abigail Palmer was a 13-year-old girl. One day in December of 1776, she had been at the house of her grandfather, Edmund Palmer, a farmer near Pennington, New Jersey. British soldiers straying from a nearby camp took control of the premise, under the Quartering Act, as we've learned. Um, For three days, several soldiers raped Abigail, her teenage friends Elizabeth and Sarah Kane, and her pregnant aunt, Mary Phillips. Oh, my God. In a war not short of atrocities on all sides, this stands out as a horrific, harrowing ordeal endured by girls and women who are, as far as we know, playing no active part in the conflict. Abigail's grandfather was at the house at the time and attempted to shield her and Elizabeth Kane when several soldiers pulled them both into a room. 
But ignoring their screams, they ravished them both. The families of the rape women in America often pointed out that British soldiers maximized the humiliating and demoralizing impact of their attacks by assaulting women in front of their fathers, husbands, and other close relatives. So they actually did them a service by putting them in another room. More often than not, it'd be in front of your whole fucking family. Yeah. Assaults on the honor of American men who failed to protect their vulnerable women seemed as critical as defeat on the battlefield. The winter of 1776 to 1777, the Continental Congress had appointed a committee to investigate British war crimes. They were asked to document not just battlefield atrocities and prisoner abuse, but also the lust and brutality of the soldiers in abusing of women. Which is pretty crazy and unheard of. Yeah, yeah. But again, this is all a tactic. Right. Um, America's new leaders were acutely aware that rape would be more difficult to prove than any of the rest as the person abused, as well as the relations, are generally reluctant against bringing matters of this kind into public notice. Mm. Yeah, there was like, st- I mean, especially at that stigma. time. Mm-hmm. It was the beginning of the stigma of coming forward with uh, rape or sexual abuse allegations. Yeah, so. Um, but... The last little quote here is, George Washington identified specific New Jersey citizens who knew about rape cases, and a local justice of the peace was able to depose six girls and a woman in the area, including Abigail. So she actually came forward and talked about it. Yeah. Um, Her deposition was actually really key in the campaigns against Britain. They didn't use her name at first, but then eventually it came out who all of the women were. Um, Of course, that leads to a lot of difficulties. Um generally speaking, with people being considered, like, unfit to marry. Right. But because of the climate of the time, that actually wasn't the case for most of the women who came forward. They were considered patriots. Oh, good. So... For those who were in that public eye, it didn't have that repercussion that it normally happens yeah. in, in this time period and still kind of now of someone being, like, unsullied. yeah. yeah. So, um, the literal rapes were used as similes to discuss the political rape of the colonies. So they took all of these women's depositions and flipped it and made it this, like, huge news media press, like, kit against Britain and why the colonies should cede and be their own country. See, I don't know how I feel about <laughs> that. I, yeah. Um, because I think, and this is done even now, like mm-hmm. I've seen politicians do this now, where they use these awful, awful things that happen to people, whether it's rape or it's like a family, a murder of a family member or something, they use that for their own political gain. And like, Using like literal rape as a simile for the rape of America, mm-hmm. like that. There's, How American, <laughs> right? Yeah, How I mean, I guess American. I guess it goes back. Obviously, them doing it now has a long history of them doing it before, and it is kind of a symptom of having some sort of like a media presence and mm-hmm. being able to put speech out like that. But at the same time, I'm just like it. It feels really dirty to use. Oh, yeah. Um, somebody's tragedy for your political, political gain, gain yeah. even even if your political gain is like justified, like getting independence from the colonies, because at the time they were getting shit on by Britain, you oh, know. Yeah. So, but at the same time, it's like, at what cost? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is the cost to the victims of the crimes that you're using? It just doesn't really sit right with me. It makes me yeah. feel dirty. Oh, it is. Yeah. 
You should go and read some of the newspaper article headlines. Oh that God! Are blasted across. They use like ravishing the. Oh, there was one about something about ravishing the lands um, and the women, and like it was a list of things that were being ravished. I don't know like, if I could yeah. roll my eyes any harder, really. Yeah. So they were not only ravaging the female colonists, but they were like waging all of these just horrible atrocities against prisoners. Um, so the political prisoners was very common, or at least it's supposed to be. And according to the rules of engagement, um, you're supposed to take prisoners. But they were kind of not doing it in the proper British way that you normally would think of. Um, okay. They were withholding food, water, warmth, and hygienic quarters from the soldiers that they had imprisoned. This led to thousands of dead by starvation or hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Um, British soldiers also laid waste to cities by setting crops and and buildings on fire. So they were like doing this whole like burn it to the ground campaign. Um, that left thousands starving and homeless. So you're seeing them march. It was a pretty predominantly in the South that they were doing this kind of working their way up, like uh, setting all the cotton crops on fire and all mm-hmm. of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which all of those things that you just described are now considered uh, inhumane treatment. Yes. So um, technically back then that was also considered inhumane treatment, but it was kind of like all bets were off in this particular war. Yeah. Um, All the normal rules of engagement were kind of being thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to highlight a couple of stories to kind of show you ways that they were really getting around you know the traditional methods of of treating people in, sure. in war times right there was a massacre in paoli pennsylvania in 1777 uh, general charles gray with nearly 5000 british soldiers launched a surprise attack on a regiment of patriot troops while they were sleeping a loyalist spy aided the Brits by obtaining a password to get them close to the camp. So there was lots of roadblocks set up. Yeah, yeah. In the dead of the night, the army unloaded their muskets in the camp and then proceeded to go through one by one with bayonets. Oh, my God. Lastly, they set the entire camp ablaze and no prisoners were taken. A couple people did escape, but not a whole lot. Yeah. This would not be the only time that they did this. There was another incident in Old Tappan, New Jersey in 1778. The same method of surprise attack was used on sleeping patriots. So they did the same thing they went through, unloaded their muskets, fixed bayonets, and then set the whole fucking thing on fire. There was another interesting um, excerpt I read from The Scars of Independence. Uh, He took a bunch of information from people's journals of the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So there was a journal of Thomas McCarty, a sergeant in the 8th Virginia Regiment, who reported that British regularly shot civilians often. Most of them that he saw witness to was women. Mm -hmm. And these women were tending wounds to soldiers. So they would go through and shoot everyone, not just the soldiers, like people who were nurses and trying to help people anywhere in the area. Um, In one particular incident in New Brunswick uh, in 1777, there was two women who were tending wounded colonials after a nighttime battle, and they went through and had shot all of the women and all of the men, just decimated the whole um, hospital area. Fuck, dude, that's brutal. Yeah. So that's just some of the, (laughs) the glorious things that the Brits did 
just laying waste, like shooting civilians. So the entire thing about the espionage, the reason I brought that up was because they justified all of this by saying that everyone was was a spy. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, they were a spy. Oh, no, no, those women were spies. I love that it's like, walked into a camp. No, those are 5,000 spies. Yeah, they're all, all the women are spies, and all the patriots are soldiers, so we have to yeah. shoot them, so everyone dies. Okay. It's obvious, can't you see? So they would, there was a lot <laughs> of that. Can't you tell? <laughs> can't you just look at them and tell? Yeah, there was lots of people um, being told that they were they were spies, and a vast majority of them were not. So. Of course, yeah. <laughs> the Patriot Army was not without their war crimes. Although it wasn't as widely publicized for, I mean, obvious <clears throat> fucking reasons. Right. The colonists did just as brutal acts as the British. That does not surprise me in the least bit. So, I read a couple that I thought would be interesting to sort of bring up here. Uh, in 1779, the Patriots launched what was called a genocidal campaign that sought to punish Britain's Native American allies among the Iroquois Confederacy of Northern New York by torching their cornfields. So, more uh, <laughs> genocide of Native people. Lots and lots of genocide. They're really good at that. Oh, they're I mean, they're sticking to what they're good at. Mm-hmm. Not just Natives, but also enslaved African Americans experienced horrible acts. The slaves were promised freedom by British, um, the British soldiers, if they participated on their side, which they did grant a lot of those uh, Okay, so that wasn't freedom. just like a false promise on No, their it wasn't part. like during the Civil War where they yeah. were never given freedom. They yeah. actually legitimately gave them freedom. Okay. Um, so a lot of people aided the Brits because this was, I mean, in the South, they were going through burning everything to the ground. And they were like, if you defect, if you participate in Britain's side, you will be granted you know, freedom no matter what happens. Yeah. No matter if this becomes... Britain or the colonies, you will have freedom. So, one particular gentleman in 1781, uh, his name was Shadrick Furman. He was a free Virginian. He provided supplies to British raiders led by a renegade American general, other known as Benedict Arnold. What? You remember him, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, now, that is a name I do you know. You know the Benedict. Um, the rebels exacted retribution on him so the patriots realized he was aiding the british and they set fired his home and crops and beat him so horribly that he became blind and crippled dang so um here's another one that i found that was kind of interesting um francis marion led a band of militiamen in south carolina and he was actually uh, the person who influenced uh, Mel Gibson's character in The Patriot. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I did not. It's Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger. Okay. It's all about the Revolutionary War. That sounds like a Mel Gibson thing. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah. Um, he loses a lot of his children, and his home was set on fire. His crops were seized. So. That sounds like a Revolutionary War thing. Yeah, so Francis <laughs> Marion, his story was kind of the basis for Mel Gibson's character. Okay. So he led a band of militiamen in South Carolina who he ordered his men to fire upon a group of British regulars, which is British people who were there, not soldiers, um, and American Tories who had surrendered. And a witness wow. described this, this as numerous Tories died with their hands in the air. So they were oh like my God. actively saying that they were surrendering and they were just mowed Killed. down. Yeah. 
On March 8th of 1782, 160 Pennsylvanian militiamen surrounded the village of, I'm going to butcher this, Ganandenhuten in eastern Ohio. That sounds good. That was pretty good. Although the residents of the village were all Indians, uh-huh. they were peaceful Christians and neutral in the fight. So they had been converted. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, the militiamen accused them of conducting raids throughout Pennsylvania and voted to execute every inhabitant of the village. The Indians were split into huts, one for men and the other for women and children, and then bludgeoned to death before being scalped. I wonder what the point of separating them was. I don't know. Maybe to make it seem like they were, you know, going to be prisoners. Yeah. that's common practice for taking prisoners is separating them into women and children. Yeah, yeah. Now, in all, 96 of 100 Indians were scalped and killed, and the entire village was set on fire. One survivor hid in the woods, and there was actually another survivor who escaped after he had been scalped, oh. to a, a, and he went to a nearby village and warned them of what was happening. So oh, my God. There were two survivors. Yikes. Um, but he, he didn't have a scalp. I know. Can you imagine some guy without a scalp, like, running up to your village, like, mm-hmm. they're coming. <laughs> the Americans are coming. Oh, God. Not the British. Yeah. It. Yeah, right? So you can see that both both sides engaged in horrible atrocities. Of course, this is like pre-Geneva Convention, however. There were right. still the you know rules of engagement in war. The colonies started the war with this sort of destructive rebellion, while the Brits continued it with their harsh counters. Knowing the history of Britain, you know, it's all bloody, guts, glory. They're like the OG warmongers and profiteers. Right, right. Just, I mean, it's obvious. The war's turning point was really in 1777 to 1778, when other countries were forced to take sides. Um, This was the kind of like, it was dubbed the first original world war before that became a turn, Mm -hmm. because we have all of these different conflicts breaking out in India, France, Spain, everywhere the ocean fucking touched, there was naval warfare. Right. Um, I didn't even realize that there was... It went all the way into India, because that was a British empire. Yeah. And there were colonists over there. So, it spread literally across Europe and into Asia. So, it was, like, legitimately, like, the first world war. Yeah. Now, all of this came to an end, thankfully, or maybe not thankfully, Uh um, with the Peace of Paris Treaty in 1783. That was the treaties that ended the war. It was, like, officially... We signed this, everyone's done. Or yeah. at least they were supposed to be done. Right. Um, <laughs> on September 3rd, 1783, representatives of King George III of Great Britain signed a treaty in Paris with the representatives of the United States of America. Um, the two There was two treaties at Versailles with King Louis Sixteenth of France. <laughs> um, Roman numerals are hard. Do your math. <laughs> um, and King Charles III of Spain. And so there was the Treaty of Versailles and the Treaty of Paris. All of those completed the Revolutionary War. Everyone went back to their own country, kind of. Yeah. And that was... And it was the end of wars forever. That war. And, of course, there was lots right after that with France Mm -hmm. and Spain. (laughs) And then within our own country again. So um, there wasn't any, like, one particular one where I was like, this is great. 
because I just kept reading all of these tiny And it's small, all fucking fucked awful. They're all awful. The one thing that caught my eye that really got me into researching the Revolutionary War atrocities was the whole rape smear campaign. I was mm-hmm. like, who the fuck does this? Yeah. But now it makes perfect sense. So that kind of set off a chain of me being able to go and research all these tiny, horrible war atrocities. Yeah. And And having flashbacks to your (laughs) American history class. Yeah. So do you think that you would want 1776 to commence again? That's the question that I am posing to everyone. Yes. Do you think Alex Jones is correct in saying that we should have 1776 commence again? Yes. I mean, no. No, he guys, says, we really don't no. need that. <laughs> because he thought people were going to have their guns taken away. That's not why the Revolutionary War started. You say that. So, I was going to say, you say that like he still doesn't think that. Oh, no. He doesn't openly say it anymore because he's going to be sued so hard. Well, um, he's also harder. in the, I was going to say, he's also in the middle of a suit at the like current moment. a dozen of them. Moment. Like a dozen yeah, If you guys, this is a little off topic, but if you guys want to know all about Alex Jones and the things that he's saying, there's a great podcast out there. Not his podcast, but there's no. a great podcast out there called Knowledge Fight that mm-hmm. you guys should check out. Yeah. Yes. But that was the Revolutionary War. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we're going to jump a little bit into the future of the Revolutionary but War. Not going the future, to, I mean, but our past. We're still going back in time. We're, we're going, going back in time back for us. In time. But the future <laughs> for the, the colonists. Future past. What? The future past. <laughs> so when we talk about World War II. Um, my heart. I watch Band of Brothers every year. Okay. <laughs> so Little things you don't want to know about me. That is something realize. I didn't expect actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Are um, you kidding me? They play it every Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, on repeat on the History Channel. And you know your girl posts up, watches it. <laughs> watches all of it every oh single God. time. All the time. Um <laughs> so when we and even when we talk about like American history, like World War Two was always the thing that in military history like kind of caught my attention mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of reasons. Now, as I said, my military military history is trash. My knowledge, <laughs> total trash. And I know things about World War II, like the major points, like Nazis <laughs> and the killing of <laughs> Jews. Nazis happen. <laughs> Nazis happen. And like Pearl Harbor and D-Day. Say, did you learn all of your knowledge from the movie Pearl Harbor? No. Joshua Hartman? <laughs> no. In fact, I think I've <laughs> only seen it once because it's like it's a terrible. gazillion hour movie. Um Anyway, <laughs> there is a lot of intricacies to World War II that are very oh, yeah. confusing. So I felt less guilty about not knowing every single Nobody fucking even thing. Talks about the war in Africa. I mean, right, all the things. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I stumbled upon what is called Unit Seven Thirty One. And it sounds like somewhere where there'd be aliens. It does. It sounds very <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like Area Fifty One. <laughs> which good luck on your storm 
happening, guys. Um, so many good memes. It is. It's. I love it. I love it all. Uh, so, it's this Unit Seven Thirty One was based in Japan is where we're going to be. So apologies in advance because these names, there's lots of them and they're going to be real fun. Oh, they're so Japanese. (laughs) So Japanese. Um, So it all starts with Surgeon General and Microbiologist Shiro Ishii, who creates a secret research unit for chemical and biological experiments in what at the time was Manchuria. Um, After traveling abroad on like a studying trip, he came back to Japan and suggested that Japan's own biological and chemical research research unit be set up in 1930 because he was really worried like oh my god all these countries are like starting to do this we don't want to be the only ones without a program <laughs> luckily Ishii found a friend in army colonel Chikahito Koizumi you're doing really good thank you <laughs> who eventually moved on to become the health minister of Japan from 1941 to 1945 um, he himself was a part of a secret group that researched poison gas in 1915 so he mm. was like he definitely shared Ishii's desires to like look into biological and chemical weaponry um, and do some research with uh, instituting some of these programs now, Shiro Ishii's original secret unit, it was called Unit Togo, was originally set up in a prison slash experimentation camp in the Zangma Fortress. Under. Yes. <laughs> that uh, sounds good. I don't expect you to know where any of these places are at. It's good. Um, Unfortunately, in 1934, there was a jailbreak. And later, there was like an explosion at the prison. And they everybody freaked out because this was potentially giving away the secret of their experimentation camp. Um, And with this threat, Ishii totally shut down this secret unit in 1935 and moved all of the research to Ping Fang, where he was able to build like a much larger facility. Pretty soon, Ishii's ideas were seen as a necessary step by the Japanese government. Of course. Right. And in 1936, Emperor Hirohito decreed the unit be expanded and incorporated into the Kwantung Army under a new category, the Epidemic Prevention Department and the Water Purification Department, known colloquially as Unit 731. It's about to get wild strapping. I'm not ready. Yeah, right. Um, have you ever heard of this particular unit? I haven't, no. Okay, I, I was asking around to some people who I know are like World War II buffs, and they're like, mm-hmm. "To no be honest, way. I I know more about the European theater, yes, than, yeah, and Australia, than, yeah, than I do the Pacific, yeah." And I was kind of surprised by this particular, th- uh, kind of, very kind of surprised, <laughs> very, very slightly surprised, surprised um, <laughs> because for the time. It wasn't that unusual for like secret experimentation to be going no, on. Not at all. U.S. was doing some of it too. So I mean, all of it almost. Yes, <laughs> and Russia. Everybody. All of us. Everybody. <laughs> the decree that was made also applied to the creation of two additional units, another biological weapons development unit called the Kwantung Army Military Horse Epidemic Prevention Workshop. I'm sorry, what? It's a mouthful. <laughs> I know it's a mouthful. Military horse. Horse. War horse prevention? Military horse epidemic prevention workshop. It's a workshop. But, but about 
the epidemic of having horses in the military? Yeah, it'll it, it, it may or may not make sense later. I'm okay. not sure. Okay. And a <laughs> chemical weapons de- uh, development unit called the Kwantung Army Technical Testing Department, both of which were they weren't really related to Shira Ishii, but mm-hmm. they were kind of. Okay. Yeah. Following Japan's invasion of China in 1937, which this is one of the things that I did not realize that Japan had occupied China for a while. Oh, yeah. Didn't, for a long while. I didn't know China that. China was a little bitch for a while. Yeah. Um, so that should be a direct quote. China was a little bitch for, just a little for a little for while. A while. Oh, uh, <laughs> so Japan invades China in 1937. There were sister units to these set up in major Chinese cities, including Beijing, Nanjing, Guangzhou, and eventually they set one up in Singapore as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unit 731 had no issue really recruiting medical doctors and professors from Japan as they were like, these people were literally so pumped to be able to conduct human experiments with financial support from the yeah, army. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't be pumped? Really? Well, especially when it's your own military sanctioning these experiments. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, I'll go. Anyway, just snippy snappy people. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, so the next thing, I, I said it like that because I'm just like, oh, here we go. Snippy snappy. The next thing for the unit was to round up test subjects and begin their experimentation, all while continuing to cover up the existence that or cover up the existence of these units at all. Under the code name Maruta, Unit 731 rounded up subjects from just the surrounding populations in China. People selected included the homeless and mentally handicapped, anti-Japanese partisans, common criminals, captured bandits, political prisoners, people brought in by the military for suspicious activity. I mean, it was like all sorts of people. They were anywhere, aged anywhere from infants all the way up to elderly people and included pregnant women. Of course. Now, the I said the code name was Maruda. Maruda is actually Japanese for log, as in like a wooden log. Okay. Um, and the subjects themselves were referred to as logs. This actually stemmed from the cover-up story that they told authorities that the facility was a lumber mill. Oh, God. And so they called their subjects <laughs> logs, which is this just demoralizing as shit. Here. Yeah. It also... Um, th- like this cover up, it never really stopped them from trying to publish their research in peer reviewed journals, referring to the tup- test subjects as Manchurian monkeys or long tailed oh, monkeys Jesus. rather than humans or logs. Mm-hmm. Once the subjects had expired, their bodies would be incarcerated. Nope incinerated <laughs> i mean they're incarcerated in flames yes <laughs> good point uh human experimentation at the Sorry. facilities it's fine you laugh for a minute. <laughs> human experimentation facilities primarily fell into two categories infectious disease and vivisection Researchers, Tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, let me allow me to continue. Okay. Um, researchers would infect test subjects with various dece- diseases, and then they would vivisect them to study the effects. Often without anesthesia, um, and more often than not, it would end up in the death of the subject. Is that vivisection means like when you're alive, like oh, live dissection? Uh, vivisection is the way that they cut, I believe, okay. where it's from neck all the way down through the stomach straight up but they did do this while people were alive Mm -hmm. um, because it was thought that 
if they waited until the subject was dead, it would create different outcomes for the tests that right. they were trying mm-hmm. to do. Because you, when you die, you immediately start going into right, know, right, body breaking down. Right. Uh, most people that were there didn't know that they were being infected with diseases because they were told that they were getting vaccinated. Which, I mean, aren't vaccinations just really diseases anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Vaccinate your kids, guys. simply how it works. They just give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) The causes of death from these various, quote-unquote, heavy quotes, vaccinations were, and this is quite the list, anthrax, botulinum, which causes botulism, Mm -hmm. uh, brucellosis, carbon monoxide poisoning, cholera, dysentery, glanders, meningitis, mustard gas, the plague, poison, salmonella, sango, smallpox, streptococcus, suicide, tetanus. Wait, suicide? Yes. (laughs) They gave you suicide. No, the causes of death. Oh, I'm like, they gave you suicide. Yeah, no, no, no. These were causes of death. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that, I mean, there was a lot of suicide that was happening with these places. Yeah, no, causes of death. Not getting infected with suicide. (laughs) If if the Japanese could figure out a way to inject people with suicide, I feel like they'd be at the head of the military like powers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, aren't that what vaccines and all the medications are giving children right now? Oh, Lord. Okay, I'm sorry. Alex Jones. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Tetanus, tick encephalitis, scrub typhus, tuberculosis, typhoid, and typhus. Um, there were also causes of both male. There were, I'm sorry. There were also cases of both male and female subjects intentionally being infected with syphilis and gonorrhea, and then going untreated in order to be studied, as well as many instances of rape by the guards in order to impregnate women so they could study the babies. Cool, cool guys. They were going in whole fucking hog on all this. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yes. Poor choice of words. My bad. It doesn't. It's it's in the name. It's in the name. It's bad taste of calls. Once the subjects were infected from any of the above diseases, right? uh, Researchers would then perform the vivisections, like I said, while they were still alive, so that they could remove all the organs to study the effects. A description was given to the New York Times in 1995 from an anonymous medical assistant that recounted his first vivisection. Quote, the fellow knew it was over for him, and so he didn't struggle struggle when they led him into the room and tied him down. But when I picked up the scalpel, that's when he began screaming. I cut him open from chest to stomach, and he screamed terribly, and his face was all twisted in agony. He made this unimaginable sound. He was screaming so horribly, but then he finally stopped. This was all in a day's work for the surgeons, but it really left an impression on me because it was my first time. End quote. Damn. (laughs) Other human testing included grenade and flamethrower tests. So they would space people out in fields and throw grenades at them and test their flamethrowers on human beings. (laughs) They were testing it. (laughs) They were testing for the accuracy. Oh my God. Can you just stand uh, two clicks to the north? And yeah, and you move over to the right a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were also tied to stakes and used for targets uh, for various types of bombs. They were deprived of food and water to see how long it would take them to die. Uh, being put into pressure chambers until their eyes popped uh, out of their sockets, being burned to find the relationship between temperature and human survival. Yep. Electrocution. 
Okay. No explanation. It was just there. Just, no explanation. Just electrocution. Just electrocution. Um, being spun to death in centrifuges. Being injected with animal you blood. Fucking using lethal doses of x-rays. Uh, oh using chemical weapons inside gas chambers. A- being injected with seawater. Being burned or buried alive. Having their kidneys injected with horse urine. And amputating what? limbs only to re-sew them onto other stumps on people's bodies. Okay. Okay, so this is exactly the same thing that's happening in Germany. Legit? Literally the same shit they were doing. Yes. Mangala style all over. Straight up, yes. Do they also sew twins together? I didn't see that specifically, but I would assume so. (laughs) They would also uh, test the effects of frostbite by placing the subject's appendages in water and then leaving them outside in cold temperatures for the limbs to freeze. They're a fucking buck wild. They are. It's unbelievable. Who has the time for all this? I mean, really? Japan. Well, it's going on in secret during World War II. I know, but like, yeah. that's a lot of commitment. It is. It is. Of course, while all of this was going on, all the human testing, Unit 731 and other affiliated units began research development and experimental deployment of epidemic creating biowarfare weapons against the Chinese people. Because, you know, they're just hanging out in China anyway, so why not? This is our country. We could use it at our disposal. mm -hmm. And they did this against both military and civilians. Not surprising. Right. (laughs) It started with the Nomenhan incident. You got it. Some of these words, when you're a little congested, are like extra hard to say. Um, this was in 1939, where they placed a pathogen that caused gastrointestinal disease into the Holston River. And this was a river that was frequently used by the Soviet Army, who, by the way, and again, this might show my like lack of intelligence about military history. For some reason, I didn't realize that the Soviets and the United States were on the same side during World War II. That just seemed weird I mean, to me. It was only kind of, but like... Quotes, they were on the same yeah, side. Yeah, because yeah. I had to do a double take like, wait a second, I thought the Soviets and Japan Which were like... immediately after World War II and oh, yeah. split up all of you know Germany, it was over. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it didn't even begin. And here we are today! <laughs> Cold War ensued! <laughs> uh, so this river... Um, that was frequently used by the Soviet army had this disease injected into it, but most of the casualties from them were minimal. There was actually, I think, a few more casualties from the Japanese army itself from the soldiers coming into contact with this disease that they were dumping in the river. Around 1940, Unit 731 used low-flying planes to drop plague-infected fleas in uh, into China, killing tens of thousands of people in a bubonic plague ep- epidemic. So they knew that the plague came out of fleas before it was public knowledge. Apparently, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, they were. It was fleas that had been on plague infected animals. So, like, yeah, but that's how the plague originally right, right. spread was fleas on on mice. Yeah, rats. Yep both yep (laughs) yeah so they were doing that i mean this is all part of their testing Mm -hmm. they were testing it they also chose to introduce typhoid and paratyphoid into local water sources and marshes along with putting them in snacks that were distributed to the locals have this delicious typhi snack you want some cheese and crackers 
It's not typhoid. <laughs> this is not it's typhoid. Not a typhoid. It's the best it's brand. It's called typhy snacks. Typhy snacks. <laughs> oh no. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this caused a typhoid epidemic as you would assume. Between the two tactics, it was determined that typhoid was the most effective. In 1942, Japan began dropping cholera bacteria onto battlefield zones, resulting in 10,000 casualties, which sounds like it would be a victory for Shiro Ishii, but unfortunately, the majority of the deaths were from the Japanese soldiers. You can't really control all of those biological on a bat on a battlefield too, where like your mm-hmm. own soldiers are fighting. It's like, oops, sorry guys, it's the cost of war. Mm-hmm. Much of these biological weapons were a result of the testing of cholera, smallpox, botulism, etc., on subjects. In fact, Japan had become so confident in their biological weaponry that they had planned an attack on San Diego, California. But yeah, there was a lot of that. Japan um, tendered their surrender five weeks before the attack was supposed to happen. Yeah, there was a lot of speculation that they were going to attack the West Coast. Yeah. Well, well, they came Never close. Never happened. <laughs> they attacked close to the West Coast, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, casualties of all the experimentation are over 200,000. I've seen estimates that are near 500,000. Um, they were mainly Chinese, Korean, and Soviet, although there was a pretty large amount of casualties from Japan's own military. After Japan surrendered, most of Unit 731 left by train and returned to Japan in late 1945, because you got to remember they were working in occupied China. Before leaving, there were orders to destroy all incriminating material and kill the remaining witnesses by either gassing them, feeding them poison, or just plain shooting them. And what would you pick? None of the above? I'd pick plain shooting. Okay. <laughs> A few of the unit members and officers were captured by the Soviets, and they were tried in the Soviet Union for war crimes. Uh, Everyone who was charged received a sentence ranging anywhere from 2 to 25 years during the Khabarovsk trials. Yes. That's Russian. That's Yep. It sounds right to me. Okay. Sounds 100% correct. Here's a long list of Japanese (laughs) names. These these were the people these are the people that were charged. Okay. Kawashima Kiyohai, mm-hmm. Atoza Yamada, Kajitsuka Ryuji, Takahishi Takatsu, Kurosawa Tomio, Nishi Toshihide, Onyo Masayo. Wow, that sounded pretty legit. <laughs> Thank <Onyo>? you. <laughs> Hira Zakura Zensaku. I'm slowing down. <laughs> you sounded like confused at that one. I know. Like, well, I had two Z's at the beginning for some reason. Uh, Mitomo Kazuo. Kikuchu. Ki- that was really wrong. wrong. <laughs> Kikuchi Nori- Norimitsu. Kurishima, Kurishima Yuji and Sunji Sato. Most of oh which gosh. were like chiefs or like heads of the departments yeah. there. Thank you for struggling through that with me. You did it. Thank you. You did it. I did it. <laughs> One of the more interesting parts in the ending of all of this, in my opinion, is what the Americans did. I mean, when we like completely took over Japan and like starved people, and oh. like, also in 
the United States starved Japanese American citizens and oh, yep okay no not nope. that part no, not, not, not but that did that did happen that also did happen but it wasn't that part <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, a man named Lieutenant Colonel Murray Sanders rolled in to investigate Japan's involvement in biological warfare when he related to Colonel Sanders. He is technically he is technically Shame. Colonel Sanders, Shame. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Sanders, yes, Lieutenant Colonel Sanders. When he got into Japan at that point in time, Unit Seven Thirty One's existence was pretty much unknown to him. But after threatening the Japanese government that he was going to go and get the Soviets involved, they were like, oh, "The headcock, yeah, the Soviets, <laughs> don't make me go and get the Soviets, y'all." Um, they were like, "Oh fuck," and handed over this manuscript that described Japan's involvement in biological warfare. This was taken to General Douglas MacArthur, who granted immunity to some of the physicians and their leader for providing the U.S. their research and data from the unit. America thought this information was like way more valuable than getting a prosecution and didn't really want other countries to have access to this information. And specifically, they didn't want the Soviet Union to have access uh, to the information. I mean, how useful is just infecting a person with every known disease? Well, here's the deal (laughs) is after the Americans received this information, it kind of turned out that most of the research was junk. But it was this idea of like, not... Um, like, oh, they have all this information. We don't know what it is. It could be really valuable. Yeah. Also, they don't have the ability to like recklessly... <laughs> yeah, they, they also don't have the ability to recklessly inject humans with a bunch of diseases because, you know, Geneva Convention. Except so Tuskegee experiment. Well, <laughs> yes. Also happening at the same time. <laughs> yes, except, except for the Tuskegee Prison Experiment, Operation. which is a whole other thing. Oh, <laughs> God on, damn it. All. Why are there so many terrible people in the Plum world? No. I know. God damn it. Oh. <laughs> the final piece of this was, um, this is probably, along with the forgiveness <laughs> of the doctors in America, mm-hmm. one of the more interesting pieces, was that Japan pretty much denied that any of this had happened. Um, They're really good at denying everything. They are. They, <laughs> we they didn't even attack you guys. That didn't even happen. No, I wasn't even there that day. <laughs> I'm not even in this military. This is a costume. <laughs> right? Uh so they denied that any human experimentation was happening at Unit 731 and the other associated units. Most Japanese textbooks would make reference, some sort of reference to Unit 731 existing, but mm-hmm. never talk about what actually happened there. Why It had <laughs> been actually in the original textbook draft, um, but when it went to get approved, they pulled it out because like, Ooh, this is problematic. <laughs> well, they actually it ended up going through the courts, um, oh. but most of what had to come out was mainly due to um, the fact that most of what officials knew about. Uh, what was going on at Unit 731 was coming from the willing testimony of former unit members. And it, at that time, was considered to be insufficient um, for, like, history textbooks, right? Yeah. In 1997, that uh, did eventually get overturned, by the way. In 1997, there was a class action lawsuit brought by international lawyer Conan Suchia. Suchia? Sure. 
Conan, <laughs> Conan Suchia against the Japanese government demanding reparations. But all of the courts found this baseless as there hadn't been um, any findings of fact that proved that human testing had happened there. It wouldn't be until... 2002 that a district court in Japan found that Japan had in fact engaged biological warfare. So really Japan <laughs> Japan itself didn't even acknowledge that any of that was happening until 2002. Like wow. Yeah. That's a long game if I ever heard I'm, one, you I'm know. I'm going to say yeah. That makes sense. And so then <laughs> in checks. in 2003 an inquiry was opened by the House of Representatives in Japan. Unfortunately, Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi said the government didn't have any records related to Unit 731 cuz a lot of them were destroyed when Japan surrendered, mm-hmm. but they uh, promised to release and publicize any records that were located in the future. And in 2018, the National Archives of Japan released the names of 3,607 members of Unit 731. So there's still information coming out about this. Not all the information is known. Even the stuff that is known like came out within the last like 15 years, mm. which blows my mind a little bit that there was such a cover-up. But then I think about some of these experiments that we've done in the U.S. in the past mm-hmm. and are probably still currently doing um, that we don't hear about, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years later. Yeah. yeah. Or it's mentioned in a document that's heavily redacted and you're like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you got to wait for them to be declassified. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just found it really interesting because I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that like we all knew that like the Germans and the Nazis were doing a shit ton of experimentation on people at the time. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't realize that J- one that Japan was doing as much human experimentation and like biological and chemical warfare testing as they were, but I also didn't realize that they were literally doing it on occupied China. Like w- what the actual fuck guys? Yeah. I mean, they had all of those countries. They could just pick one. Yeah. Let's pick the largest one. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that is the story of Unit 731. If you need something to listen to while you're down in the trenches <laughs> fighting for, insert your country's name here. For freedom. For freedom. <laughs> take a listen to this podcast. The neighborhood is unsafe. The streets, unlit. While others sleep soundly, you lie awake because you know the truth. You know that, no matter where you go, there's always a chance that a monster is in your midst. The darkness that runs deep within our own veins, the evil found in even the sweetest of souls, sometimes comes to light. And when it does, the result is a person that takes on that evil, that wears it proudly and becomes part of the darkness itself. I am Aaron from Devil We Know Podcast, and on our true crime show, we dive into the scariest corners of our past and present to reveal the devil we know. A father, a mother, a brother, a sister, and anyone, anywhere who hides in plain sight, living a life of bloody secrets while living just next door. Come check us out and hear the chilling, true stories about the devils we know.
Thank you guys so much for listening. That has been our show today. Before we head out, we do have a couple things we want to talk about. First of all, thank you again to everybody that came out to TCPF. Uh, Please keep an eye out for information regarding next year's show. But we did say we had more to talk about. So in November, um, the it's Saturday, November 23rd and Sunday, November 24th. We will be at Mr. Willie's Dark Art and Oddities Con in DeKalb. You can go to darkartandoddiescon.com for more information. We will be there for one day on Sunday. Yes. uh, November 24th. Uh, but the cool thing is, is because it's two days, they have completely different vendors and stuff on the mm-hmm. second day than they do on the first. Yeah. So it's totally worth it. To, yeah. To go both days because it's going to be completely different. Yeah. And these entities conventions have so much cool stuff at them. Yeah. We've actually been to, well, me a couple. You've been to a couple. We've been yeah. To a couple together. Yeah. There's lots. Like they have entertainment. There's cool stuff to buy. They, some of them have like shows and things you can watch. So it's, it's definitely a trip yeah it is so we will be there um you can come talk to us if you missed us in chicago keep an eye out on our social media and the website we will try and put out some more information as it gets closer um but we are very excited to be doing another event before the end of the year yeah we got one more thing in our chamber but you'll just have to stay tuned to find out more. To find out if that chamber will fire? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to find out when the chamber will fire. Yes. He's catching the magic bullet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so keep an eye out for that. While you're on the website, you might as well check out the merch page, too. Do you it. Go to badtastecrimecast.com slash merch. How can you go to an oddities and not have your BTC merch on you? I mean... I don't know. Hello? You tell me, Janelle. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we got pins, man. We got yeah. shirts. Wear them all. Yes. At the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, just next to the merch button at the top of the website is a little button that says donate. <laughs> you can go to badtaste.com. Bad tip. Oh my goodness. You can go to badtastecrimecast.com slash donate if you want to support the show financially. That'd yeah. be cool. Check out our Patreon. We yeah. have some really nice stuff coming up. Nice. Some nice stuff. I try to do at least one thing a month, but in the last couple of months of this year, there's going to be some doubles. Hey. So check out our Patreon if you want some more behind the scenes action from us. That'll be really fun. <laughs> um, Jill, do you have anything before we close out? No. That's it, man. All right. Uh, don't commit war crimes. Hey, you know what? <laughs> that is advice that everybody can follow. Please stop committing war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crimecast. Come back in two weeks to see what we will have for you. Ooh. Bye. Oh, spooky season. <laughs> <laughs> It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town.